It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And a sentence that I haven't been able to say that much, here comes the sun. That's what's been reported from uh, Met Air and Dry. Sunny spells, temperatures in the high teens. That's what's in store for this coming weekend. Current forecasts are predicting that the last of this week's seemingly constant rain, it'll clear on Friday morning and then it'll make way for this dry, settled period of weather with temperatures somewhere between 14 and 17 degrees uh, Celsius and that weather that we'll get after the rain clears on Friday morning it'll continue across the weekend. Mejeran are saying that so far this May has been one of the wettest on records and again I don't think that comes as any surprise. We've had rainfall levels for this month greater than the total May rainfall for 2018, 2019 and 2020 combined. Some weather stations are recording rainfall levels six times higher than they were for last year and as we approach the final weekend of what has been a washout month there are signs that summer is finally on the horizon and hopefully this weekend's weather according to Metair and they're hopeful that it will stick around and their monthly forecast remains optimistic moving into June. They say high pressure is expected to bring this dry weather and with it then more settled conditions and they're expecting that it could stick around for next month. The arrival of warmer and drier conditions obviously uh, is a must for the hospitality uh, sector because they're looking at reopening on the 7th of June and certainly I've heard so many people talk in the last week, probably throughout the month of May when we've been speaking about opening up and opening up outdoor people are saying with the weather at the moment you wouldn't be going very far to go out for a meal and you know God help us the poorer people in the hospitality sector need the gods to be with them if they're going to be forced to do all of their business uh, outside for certainly for an probably a month, maybe a little bit longer. A very good morning to you on this Tuesday morning. Welcome you along to the programme. We've got John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And let me just give a shout out to, if you are into stargazing, that there is what will describe, looks like it's going to be quite a spectacular full moon. And it's going to happen tomorrow at Wednesday. And it's another one of these opportunities to spot what's described as quite a rare event and that's a supermoon even though we did have a supermoon 
last month. It occurred at the end of April, the 27th of uh, April. But tomorrow night's moon is going to be even more spectacular because it is the the moon. It's one of the closest supermoons of the year. And a supermoon is also called the flower moon. It's expected to be visible at dawn tomorrow morning when the moon will be at its closest point to Earth. But obviously the full illumination will not take place until later in the day tomorrow. So keep a lookout for that. A spectacular full moon but it is a super moon and the return of summer holidays abroad is now at risk of being delayed and why this is all down to the cyber attack that obviously has crippled the health service in this country for the last 10 days and we will be talking about that cyber attack later on in the programme today particularly as yesterday was D-Day for the dumping of the data so we're trying to see how we can all protect ourselves uh, going forward but you would think the cyber attack how is that going to affect people going on their summer holidays well it's the HSE and the Department of Health they're centrally involved in developing new IT infrastructure for introducing vaccine passports and of course you're going to need a vaccine passport for international travel but the computer systems that underpin the entire health system they're still down after that attack by the cyber criminals last week and it's feared in government that that's going to lead to delays in developing the systems needed to roll out the vaccine passports. Now, the government obviously is under huge pressure from the tourism sector and from the aviation sector to at least start to outline a clear path for the return of international travel. Now, if you were watching the news last night, you probably would have seen the Irish Airline Pilots Association, IALPA. They staged a protest outside the Dáil and to see all of the lovely pilots all dressed in their very smart uniforms all protesting outside the doll. It's not something we've commonly uh, seen. They were all doing their best with social distancing but they were outside the doll, calling for vaccine passports to be introduced. Now the pilots want the passports introduced from the 1st of July and the 1st of July is the earliest date that they could be used for travel because the 1st of July is going to be the, the date that the EU member states are going to be issuing these vaccine passports but then it will be up to each individual country to decide when they put them into operation. Cabinet ministers are, many of them are also pushing for travel restrictions to be lifted to kickstart what would be the tourism season for this year and then obviously would kickstart the aviation industry but NEFIT uh, they are due to make recommendations on when travel restrictions can be eased on Thursday and there is concern amongst government circles that our Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan and his team will take a much more cautious approach than saying, yeah, it is okay to allow international travel and to allow people leave the country from the 1st of July. You can already see what's coming out from Nefesh. Tony Houlihan and his team are really worried, particularly about the Indian variant, and I suppose they're afraid. They saw what happened at Christmas. They predicted what would happen at Christmas by opening up and allowing people to travel both ways. They, they saw that the Kent variant was going to be brought in and it was and unfortunately it was brought in in huge numbers. Now I know we're at a very different stage in the game because of vaccine rollouts but there will obviously still be a nervousness about it so we'll wait to see what Tony Houlihan, what they recommend to the government. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar 
has says he he doesn't expect foreign travel to return until August and he's saying August at the very earliest and I have a feeling that's what Tony Hulhan is going to be saying as well but it was the Taoiseach then Micheál Martin he has committed to announcing an aviation plan uh, this week uh, the government will make a decision on how to apply the green certificates from an Irish context and that's going to be done that's all going to be part of that announcement on uh, Friday and uh, hopefully there will be it'll give the aviation the travel travel industry some kind of a road map to uh, follow and of course the tourism minister Catherine Martin she's also calling for restrictions on international travel to be lifted she wants it lifted as soon as uh, possible she particularly after vaccination passports are introduced across the EU and they'll be introduced across the EU on the 1st of July uh, Catherine Martin said she would be urging her cabinet colleagues to move speedily to allow people to fly in and out of the country once the new digital green certificate were implemented for airline uh, passengers. But she did say that they will be guided at all times by public health advice. So I think we're going to be in a little bit of a face-off between the government ministers that are campaigning to really open up international travel and they'll do it for a whole host of different reasons. I mean, any of the TDs, I imagine, that have someone like Dublin Airport in their constituency because that's a a colossal economic driver, not just for that constituency but for the whole country. They'll be pushing like mad to have aviation uh, back up and running. So there will be people involved in this discussion doing it for, they'll have all reasons why they want it opened up. The pilots yesterday obviously would would have been listened to and some hear some of those pilots, you know, struggling to even pay a mortgage saying you know it's not that we've got jobs that we can go to I saw one pilot saying he's applying all over the world but there aren't many jobs going for pilots at the moment so there's lots of reasons why we should open it up but then do we always have to go back to the public health advice do we always have to remember we are still living in the middle of a pandemic and do we need to do everything to make sure that we're keeping everyone as safe as possible even if it means that people can't go on holidays or people can't come into this country instead of being on the 1st of July that they can't come in until maybe the middle of August. So we'll wait and see but the announcement is expected to be part of what the Taoiseach will announce on Friday all to do with the reopening of the uh, country. And also making the all of the papers today is the case that was in Bandon District Court of the woman from Bandon who was in uh, court for refusing to wear a mask at Dunn stores in uh, Clonakilty. And when she was asked by the guard the why she wasn't, she said she answered only to uh, God. But it, w- it was interesting how the judge reacted on on this. Like he did make the point that masks are an essential requirement in dealing with the virus, and he made the point that science very strikingly shows this. And if you think back to when we were first asked to wear masks, there was a bit of we didn't quite know did we really need to wear masks? What were we wearing masks for? And then the scientists really came out and showed and there was a lot of videos on the time particularly on social media showing when you wear a mask and they sort of did like was done with like infrared lights showing for example if you coughed and if you coughed without a mask and if you coughed with a mask showing where the, what comes out of your mouth how far it would actually go versus when you were wearing a mask and even for people speaking or people shouting or people singing when you wearing a mask against not wearing a mask and the science is very much there of why we need to wear uh, uh, masks 
And, you know, when I was looking at this case yesterday, I was thinking, like, we wear masks. And, you know, this particular woman thought it was a gross uh, intrusion of her uh, freedom. And she was unrepentant. She's likely to reoffend. The judge did impose a three week prison sentence, but that was suspended for a period of uh, two weeks. And she was also fined €350 for verbally abusing the store manager when he asked her as to why she wasn't wearing a mask and did she have a medical reason. And she's actually back in court in relation to uh, similar charges uh, next month. But, you know, none of us like wearing masks. Let's be honest. I mean, I hate the things. I absolutely, when I go into a supermarket and have to wear it and I've all different kinds of masks and I take recommendations from people and I could open up a shop, I would say, with the amount of masks I have, always trying to get the perfect one. I've one at the moment now that I'm kind of kind of happy with and I have about six of them because the constant washing of them and, and all of that and I'm, I'm kind of doing okay with those ones but I still can't wait to get out of the supermarket and I think I have it on the longest probably when I'm in a supermarket but I can't wait to get it to get out and get it off and to take a, take a deep breath but I do it and we wear masks primarily well the main reason the scientific evidence is there we wear masks to protect other people now a number of people will say we're obviously protecting ourselves as well. I mean, if you've got something in front of you, surely it stops you breathing in. If there was to be particles of coronavirus in front of you, surely the mask is offering some kind of protection as well. But the main reason that we wear masks we do it to protect other people. So I'm wondering what are people's views on the wearing of masks? Because definitely at the start of it, there was a little bit of people didn't like it. And there was people saying, I'm not, you know, this is infringing on my right to freedom and I don't want to wear a mask. But I think as more as more people started to read up on it and as more people try, heard from the scientific evidence behind it, I think the majority of people see the wearing of masks and you're, and as a, see why we're wearing masks. But the main reason we're doing it, we're doing it to protect other people. And therefore, if we all decided not to wear masks or to stop washing in the hands and forget about social distancing, are we then being selfish for fear? Because even people who are vaccinated are told to still wear masks and you're doing that to protect other people. So is there is there a level of selfishness when people decide and, you know, I've got my rights not to wear a mask? I'd be interested in uh, people's thoughts on that. And by the way, I'm after getting another one of those letters in from a listener who gave a baby up for adoption many years ago and has kept it a secret. And it's another one of those really, really heartbreaking letters. And I, you know, I, I'm so grateful to the women that are opening up about it. And I'm hoping some in some way, and I'll, I'll read it to you later on, but I'm hoping in some way by these women putting pen to paper or sending emails, whatever, whatever way they, they decide to make contact with us, that in some way they might get some healing from it by in some cases telling their story for the very first time. But the one today has an interesting side to it because it was somebody who recently decided to open up to her family and did didn't get the reaction I certainly would have hoped that she would have got. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Some people on about uh, the wearing of masks. One listener uh, felt that that woman in court yesterday got off very lightly with a three-week prison sentence which was uh, suspended and uh, the the fine though wasn't for the not wearing a mask. The fine was for verbally abusing uh, the store uh, manager. Uh, Somebody's 
thought that was a very uh, light uh, sentence at the end of the day. We all have to wear masks. Somebody else says, I don't like wearing masks. I find them very stuffy, but I'm assuming, like all of us, you don't like it, but you're still doing it and we're doing it to protect everybody else. And the evidence is there to show why we need to wear masks the mass and how it is helping to control the virus. And Patrick and Banda says, Patricia, I'm the very same as you. I suffocate wearing those masks. I can't wait to get outside the store and uh, take it off. But you, you leave it on in the store and that is the important uh, point, Patrick. Thank you for that. Now, can we help out this sister from Don Manway? Uh, says, uh, Patricia, we have a vaccination tomorrow in the Bantry Primary Care Centre. I've no idea where to find it. There's no phone number either on the text. The air code and the address are two different places. Can you help please? And actually somebody got on to us about this after the weekend. Somebody else who went to Bantry and put in the air code to discover that the air code that has been sent out and we can't unfortunately now even email the HSE to tell them what's going on. I don't know if they're aware of it or not. But somebody got on to us to say that the air code for the that comes with the text message to send you to the Bantry Primary Care Centre for your vaccination is actually the air code for the Bantry Primary School. Now, I don't know how close the Bantry Primary School is to the Bantry Primary Care Centre. The Bantry Primary Care Centre is located along the Quays in Bantry, which is next to the Maritime Hotel. So what I can't find, somebody had had gone to great lengths and actually sent me in the correct air code for the Bantry Primary Care Centre, but I can't find the text or the WhatsApp because so many come into the programme. So what I would suggest to our listener in Dunmanway, if you go onto the internet and go on to air code, you can put in Bantry Primary Care Centre and the correct air code will come up because if you have the correct air code then you can put it into your sat nav and it'll bring you right to the door of it. But if that's of any use to you, John Paul tells me that the Bantry Primary Care Centre is along the quays in Bantry and it's next to the Maritime Hotel. So if you know where the Maritime Hotel is, then you're fine. You know exactly where the, where the Bantry Primary Care Centre is and good luck with your vaccination tomorrow. And then for people who've been contacting us by... By about the NDLS, the National Driving Licence uh, Service, people trying to get their licence uh, renewed. The, the NDLS centres are open to customers. If you have a public services card or a MyGov card, then you can apply online. Customers are reminded that due to the public health measures in place to tackle the spread of COVID-19, they are not allowing walk-in appointments anymore. Before, you could always just go in. You need to book an appointment in order to attend the NDLS centre and you can book your appointment on ndls.ie but in order to book the appointment you must have either a public services card or a MyGov ID in order to apply. But they do tell us that if you have applied for a driving licence driving licence there is a delay and you could be waiting up to a month. So if you're thinking oh my driving licence hasn't arrived and I applied two weeks ago it could be at least a month, so hold hold on. But John Paul says he's been getting calls in from people to say that they've been trying to ring the NDLS because they want to speak to uh, to somebody and they do have, you can call them on their 076 number 1087880, 076 1087880. When you ring that number, 
it's one of those automated services first of all when you get through you know telling you dial one for this dial two for that dial three for that but John Paul says you need to have a bit of patience because he's rang the number he says it can take maybe two to three minutes but then you will get an option to speak to somebody because John Paul says the reason I mention that is we keep getting calls in from people so I'm trying to ring NDLS no one answering the phones nobody there it's all automated you have to stay with it till the end of the message and then usually at the very end of the message they, they then say if you need to speak to somebody hang on the line so just have a bit of patience if you need to physically speak with an operator at the NDLS 076 1087 Court today on C103 with John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 Now, just to end the confusion on the vaccination centre in Bantry, it's the primary care centre. Uh, I think what we gave out the information earlier was to do with the health centre. So lots of people are saying for people who don't, who have to travel to Bantry and don't know where it is because it seems it's the wrong air code is actually on the text you got. Somebody's saying if you head to the hospital and the vaccination centre is actually well signposted. Morning Patricia, the primary care centre in Bantry is not on the keys in Bantry. It's up past the hospital by St Finbar's National School and the new secondary school. You go past uh, the hospital. I know exactly where it is because I had to go look for, looking for it myself as I had my vaccine there on Thursday, says the listener. Thank you for that. So it's obviously St Finbar's National School is the air code because somebody told us yesterday that the air they put the air code in and it turns out to be the air code for primary school. So that's the, but it's right next to that. So even if you put in the air code that's on your text message, it'll take you to exactly where it is. Denise says the new Bantry Primary Care Centre is up near the hospital. Turn right just at the West Lodge Hotel. Follow the road around the town. You'll see the signs for the vaccination centre. But, says Denise, be careful when the road suddenly narrows at the top of the hill. Thank you. That's Denise, who I'm assuming is from Bantry. Our travels there a lot. Thank you for that. So thank you. Lots of people ringing up just to point that out to us and we appreciate that. 1850-333-103. Now, cuckoo funds have turned their attention to farms with young farmers now being driven off the land. As a result, this is the latest twist in the property war between the state and investment funds. Raising his concerns, Fine Gael Senator Tim Lambert, who of course is on the Senate's Agriculture Panel. And uh, Tim joins me. Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning. And you're you're welcome to the programme. You've likened this to John B. Keane's play, The Field. What what are you hearing is actually happening on the ground? Okay, look, the cuckoo funds were a phenomenon that had been involved in the housing market for many years, particularly in Dublin, regarding the actual apartment block developments. They all find um, a portion of those developments. Then, as we know, in the last six weeks, we got involved in actual housing developments and we changed or imposed the change to law to actually cap their actual um, involvement there by increasing the actual capital gains. But the big issue here is that these cuckoo funds, realistically, when they banked on money, they're probably getting 0% because that's the way the banks are going at the moment. Land is probably the next bet, next best bet for them at the moment. And that's what I'm hearing from the marketplace that the cuckoo funds are showing interest in looking at buying agricultural land holdings and then letting it out at another um, to the actual farming community afterwards, which will mean you'll have real serious competition. You already have competition between the farming community when it comes to actual land holdings, but now you'll have international investors coming in, buying up land holdings and holding on to them because they believe that will be the better value for money. 
Like this is because I, these guys are not buying up farm lands to take up farming. I mean, that's no, that's God, not no. what they want to do. This is getting more than a primary investment to use the opportunity that the farm price will increase over time, but also that they'll be able to claim a credible rent off at the same time. And look, they'll be basically getting their money off the back of the farming community. And it's a really kind of negative impact on the entire industry. Like we, we've issues with age portfolio, definitely. We've, you know, we've the oldest demographic nearly in Europe when it comes to the age of our farmers. We need to encourage young people in. And if you have young people now trying to get involved in the farming community, our farming practices, and they're competing with international um, investment funds to buy land, it's nearly impossible for them to compete on that ground. And that's a huge issue for them. But it's the significant monies that are available to these people. It is mega money in so many ways. And like, you know, farming is struggling in so many ways. Prices are good at the moment, but it goes up and down. And if we have that kind of external competition coming in, it's going to drive the price of man, land mad. And the knock-on effect here is it's going to really damage the agricultural um, ground We also, Tim, have a a bad history in this country when it comes to uh, landlords owning our farm land. It's it's almost in our DNA for for us to own our own land and not to rent it off the wealthy uh, landlord. What can the government do about it to stop it? Yeah, and look, we've a totally different system than the English model when it comes to ownership of land. I think when it comes to ownership of land in Ireland, the majority of land is owned by the farming community. Yes, the land is leased on Conacre and so forth, but it's still owned by the actual agricultural community at different levels. We never had this kind of landlord scenario coming into Ireland. And I think because of that, we now need to look at how this interaction by the cuckoo funds in the agricultural market needs to be looked at. And like whether it's an increase in capital gains, making it, you know, literally unaffordable for the cuckoo funds to get involved is probably something what we need to be looking at. So what they did in the housing market was they increased the capital gains from literally 1% to 10%, or to, sorry, the stamp duty from 1% to 10%, which had a knock-on effect that made it, you know, uncompetitive for them to get involved in the market. We need to be looking at something similar. The taxation code probably needs to be amended because if you're going to have landlords of this nature coming in, buying up vast tracts of land, literally so they can sit in it, own it, maybe claim a single farm payment off it, and maybe then just rent it out to whoever they want afterwards, it's really disenfranchising the actual young, productive farmer that we want to get onto the land. And that will have a real negative impact for our entire agricultural food industry. Has the price of agricultural land gone up in previous years? Yes, yeah, so it varies. It varies quite bit. Okay. It goes up and down, so you probably be on about 10,000 an acre on average. It goes up and it's going down. It's on an upward trend at the moment. And even speaking to auctioneers um, as late as last night, they were saying the demand for land literally in the last three, three or four months has gone through the roof. Um, that happens in its own right. But the worry here now is if that happens with a huge cuckoo fund pot of money coming into the marketplace that could drive the price of land mad again. Well these these in investment funds they will come in with ma- you know massive amounts oh, yeah. of money in, in the checkbook they can outbid any young farmer who's trying to get couple, you know however many it's, acres. Like this isn't the cuckoo fund coming in with a few million euros like their pockets are as deep as you can only imagine like there was one suggestion that one of these cuckoo funds had a billion euros to spend in the Irish uh, housing market over a four year period so 
that would be the worry and that would be the, the real, real issue, you know, that if we did have a cuckoo fund coming with that kind of wealth, that kind of money, it could do real extreme damage to the actual marketplace itself. Okay, all right. And uh, but uh, So a, a, a keen eye needs to be kept on this and, and make sure that it doesn't happen. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if we're looking at this logically, taxation codes need to be changed. We need to get word out there that the input that the negative input on the agricultural industry is huge for the young farm in particular, but for the entire food industry across not alone Ireland, but in particular West Cork, because we really depend on the food industry. We depend on carby going well. With the, we need to promote our young farmers by having this extra competition. If anything, it's a really negative impact on their entire industry. Okay. All right, uh, Tim, we'll leave it there. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. I, I, you know, I never thought we'd be talking about cuckoo funds coming in and buying up uh, farm, but it, it, farmland. But it does. I think he, Tim is right when he likened it to John B. Keane's play, The Field. I mean, that's exactly what that movie uh, was about. Mike says when Michael Noonan was Minister for Finance, he brought in tax breaks for people to let lands for 5, 10, 15 years and they were able to do it tax free. If you had a house to let, you have to pay tax on your rental income. Mike feels that this was a crazy move by the government and it suited many dairy farmers then to lease land. 1850-333-103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Now Claire Newell lives in McCroom and she is looking for people to get involved with a recycling project that is helping out homeless people. To chat about the Crisp Package Project Cork, uh, Claire Newell joins me. Good morning to you, Claire. Good morning, Patricia. No, I, I'm, I'm very well and I absolutely love this initiative. You make foil rescue blankets out of crisp bags. Tell me how you started and got involved in this initiative. Okay, so it all began, I saw a four-minute video online about a lady in the UK who'd started the Chris Packet project because she worked for a charity who had run out of blankets um, for homeless people. And I, I watched this video and I was just amazed at how ingenious it was. What a great idea. Um, and so I found that there was a, a lady called Karen up in Ross Common who was already making Chris Packet blankets and so I got in contact with her and I started saving my Chris Packets. <laughs> so from saving Chris Packets and sending them to Roscommon, how yep. did you then progress on to making them yourself? Well, I just, I was sending my Chris Packets up to Karen and she was putting on her Facebook page that they were going to Dublin and Galway and I just thought, well, I'm in Cork. Why aren't they going to Cork? There's homeless people that need these in Cork. So I had a chat with her and I decided that I'd set up a group for the south of the country. And so last month I went live um, and I've been making crisp packets, blankets um, ever since. And it's been fantastic. And I've donated my first ones to... Cork Penny Dinners and um, a homeless charity on the north side called Hope for the Homeless. And it's 
fantastic. <laughs> now, how do you make a uh, an empty crisp packet? How do you make them into blankets? Well, what you do is, first of all, you um, eat your crisps <laughs> and then you cut the, cut the crisp packet open so it's landscaped. So you've got the silver side, um, wash them in some soapy washing up liquid and dry them. And then I, when I receive people's donations for crisp packets, I bond them all together using an, an iron. I put a piece of um, baking paper over the top so it doesn't damage my iron. And I iron them really quickly so they heat together. And then I bond waste plastic onto either side so that they make like a laminated sandwich. So they're waterproof and sturdy and um, they last a, a good while as well, you know. So. And I, I know I have to, I've got the crisp bag bit in my head. Talk to me about the bonded okay, so plastic. You, so um, I have um, a couple of clothes shops who have very kindly donated their waste um, garment packaging polythene and I I cut that open and then I I heat bond that with my own domestic iron um, on top of the crisp bags bits, and then on the other side as well so it's almost like laminating but you're it's, doing it with a domestic iron yeah I just sit in my in my little room with my ironing board and my iron and um, just work away making making these sheets. Um, it takes about a, just over an hour, maybe an hour and a half, to do one um, one sheet for uh, one blanket, if you like, from start to finish. And how many crisp bags would you need to make one blanket? You need forty four regular sized crisp packets. Okay. <laughs> Use any size, it, you know, it, 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 you can use any type of crisp packet. Um, you know, the big one for the sharing, the big yeah, yeah, you can Dorito ones. Yeah, you yeah. can use those as well. Yeah, the tortilla chip ones. Yeah. Popcorn as well. Okay. Popcorn packets. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I When I receive the crisp packets from people in the post, I sort them all out into different sizes so that... I, you know, I'm not wasting any. And some of the big ones, some of like the sharing packs, they, they, I can make those into duffel bags. So they're really good for making um, bags that they can put, that the, the, the homeless people can put the bag, the blankets into the bags or, you know, just put their bits and bobs into a bag as well. So there's there's not it's not just the uh, survival sheets that I I can make out of crisp packets. I can also make bivy bags, which are huge. Um, they're almost like sleeping bag covers. Yeah, you, you can actually get into them, and they're just crisp packets. And the fact that they're waterproof as well, you know, you're thinking of with the way the weather's been. Exactly. Uh, for, for the la- and this is a real winner because you're also helping the environment and potentially helping to save a life. I mean, it's a win-win all round. Absolutely. You're, you're not, your rubbish isn't going into landfill. You're enjoying a product that you'd buy anyway 
and you're helping somebody less fortunate. And because of the silver um, in, in, inside your crisp packet, which keeps your crisps fresh, mm. they, because the silver is in the crisp packet, when it's all opened out, that is what keeps the sheets heat retaining. So if you're outside and you're wrapped up in silver, you know, it's going to keep you that little bit warm. warmer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Could you, are you crafty by nature? Uh, yes, I am. Are you? Okay, that, that, that explains I, it. You... I, I'm, I'm just, um, I've, I've always been keen on recycling and reusing things. And um, I, I, I wish, you know, I wish I'd found this a long time ago because it's just such a great idea. Yeah. If I can get people to send me my Chris, uh, send me their crisp packets, then you know you can make even more. I can. And make- you, you've also, you've also reckoning, and and I like this that it's a project that maybe transition your students could get involved with. Absolutely, absolutely, and also national school children. Um, it, it's something that they can work, work towards their green flag for. Um, actually, anybody, scout movements, guides, church groups, women's fellowship groups, anybody can have a go. You don't have to have any skill <laughs> to do it. You, if you want to have a go at making a, making a survival sheet. Give it a go. It's easy. It's really easy. And, you know, I, I'm about to give plenty of support to people who want to join me and have a go at this. Or if they just want to save their crisp packet, do you know? And um, send them on. And, and how can people send on the crisp packets? Are you, have you a Facebook page I that do. people can connect with you? Yeah, yeah. I'm on Facebook at Crisp Packet Project Cork. And, and and on that Facebook page, we can see samples of your blankets, can we? Oh, absolutely. Great. videos and um, I, I post pictures of what I'm doing and I post pictures of people's donations of crisp packets. There's also a guide on that on my Facebook page that shows which crisp, pa- which crisp and popcorn packets are acceptable. Okay. So, there are one or two crisp packets that I can't use because they're too thick. But the majority you can. But the majority, majority. of them are, 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 are all good. There's um, there's information on there on how to wash your crisp packets, how to cut them open, how to send them to me. And if anybody wants to, you know, if schools want to get in contact with me or other groups. Please do. Please do. And it's the Crisp Package Project Cork is the, the Facebook page. It's, 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 it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Do you eat a lot of crisps, Claire? I don't, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. What, what I do do is I, I get my family to eat crisps. Okay. <laughs> and then I save them up for, you know, I, I, I recommend that people save them up for a month or so. And then send them on to you. Well, listen, it's brilliant. It really is brilliant. Um, Well done. The Crisp Package Project Cork. We wish you continued good luck with it, Claire. And we thank you for taking time out to talk to us. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Uh, I really enjoyed my chat with Claire Newell and the fact that she's making these bags out of the empty crisp packages. It's fantastic because it's from the environmental point of view. It stops and going into landfill and the idea that they're going on to help homeless people, it really is terrific. I can't wait to take a look online to see how it's actually done. But somebody has was listening to the interview and said, Patricia, there's a young lady in Cornwall She's a marine biologist by the name of Emily Stevenson and she wore a dress to her graduation made of Walker's crisps. So obviously based on the very same thing that Claire was talking about and this texter says you can see it up on Facebook. Actually her grandma is Pauline Stevenson who lives in Drimaleague and Pauline often contacts the programme. Well I did not know that. Well done. And I must check out Emily Stevenson's dress made out of Walker's crisps. Isn't that fantastic? Thank you for that. Now a number of people have been on to us about cuckoo funds that we spoke about in the last hour. Let me give you some of people's thoughts. Pat in Formoy says, at the end of the day, well, you have to ask the question, who is selling the land to these investment funders? It's the farmers are. They are going for the highest price that they can get for their lands. So surely the ones selling the land need to be questioned. Senator Tim Lombard never mentioned that. Uh, Pat in Formoy believes it's the farmers' fault and not the cuckoo funds. The cuckoo funds, cuckoo funds are in it to make uh, profit. That the, It's the farmers we should be questioning, the landowners who sell it on to these investment. Do they not have a case to answer as well? John and Carrie Alliance says, Patricia, it's obvious to see everywhere we look, foreign businesses, cuckoo funds, foreign people are coming into this country, robbing this country, John says, and I don't know who you're saying is robbing, but anyway, uh, it's going on now since they invited them since the invitation went out, going back to Mary McAleese's time, we have no rental property available. And those that are available, the prices are absolutely crazy because of this. The government are now under pressure to build more houses, but the back door is left open. The government now needs to close the back door. Ireland is full of our own people who need houses. I'm, says John and Carrigaline. So I, you're, you want em, you want uh, emigration to stop? I, I'm, I'm assuming is is what you're saying. Uh, remember, there's a lot of people who come come into this country, and we well welcome them into this country because we need their workforce and we need their skills and a lot of our hospitals for example would simply not be able to open their front door if we didn't have migrant workers coming in as doctors and as nurses and physiotherapists and all of the other different therapists so John I don't know if I'm with I would be singing off the same hymn sheet as you and I don't know if you can blame just because people have come to this country to get jobs that it's their fault that there's no houses there's no houses because we haven't been building enough houses over a good number of years and that's the problem we find ourselves in. Tim says, thank you for your text. Tim says, cuckoo funds were called vulture funds in Leo and Pascal's time. They bought landlordism back uh, and how ironic in the year of the centenary commemoration, says uh, Tim. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. But then I got an interesting text in from another Tim who says, Patricia, I worked in a large invest, I worked as a large investment manager in Ireland and I completely disagree with what Senator Tim Lombard is saying. There is no large scale investment by investment managers in agricultural land in this country. And the reason for it is the yield on the farmland would not be a viable investment option. The only farms of any interest would have to be at least 
500 acres. Uh, so Tim, who has worked in the industry, doesn't see why there's people are talking about cuckoo funds coming in and buying up all of this farmland. Thank you for that. Uh, hi, Patricia, says Denise. I love the idea of these survival blankets that Claire spoke about made from the crisp packet, packets. But I have a question. The recycling idea is fab, but what happens to these blankets when they get damaged? Are they collected by volunteers? Are they blown around the city? Uh, but by the way, Sister Lisa, I'm going to start collecting the bags now. Well, I'm, they last, listening to what Claire said and the way they are made, they last for such a long time. So I don't think they will end up being blown around the city. And, and obviously then, when they're no longer of use, they're going to be easier to pick up one big blanket that what did she say 47 crisp packets rather than seeing 47 individual crisp packets blowing all over the place but yes uh, we are right to be worried about anything that leads to environmental damage but God knows there's enough crisp packets when you talk to any people that go out picking up litter in the tidy towns groups and they tell you the amount of crisp packets that they pick up particularly the ones that are tossed out car windows you know somebody stops and have a coffee, has a coffee and a bar of chocolate sure I might have a bag of crisps as well instead of bringing them home they're dumped as well Catherine is wondering would she have any use for plastic milk bottle covers? I, I don't think so. Judging by what she was saying, what she's using, it's all plastic. It's the crisp packets and then it's the soft plastic that she uses. Again, that can't be recycled at the moment. We have to send it all for landfill. So it's, it is a complete win-win. I spoke yesterday when I was on air. I remember I got a, one of those scam calls from somewhere in Indonesia and that led to a few people saying there's a lot of scam calls coming from Cuba. Some of the smartphones will tell you where the call is coming from or if you Google it, you'll find out it's from Cuba. A new market listener says, got one of those scam calls from Cuba. So I blocked the number, which you can do. Lo and behold, I got another one from Cuba at 4.51am this morning. Oh my God. Oh, and this is the same listener who got the call at 1.15am the night night before. I've blocked that one now. It looks like they're coming from some kind of a call centre. Talk about being persistent, says the new market listener. I don't know. And and I don't know whether the phone woke you in the middle of the night or not, but that would be just awful for that uh, uh, to happen to wake up and all it is is a scam uh, caller. Okay, lots of people on about wearing of masks we all should we we all wear masks and we know why we are wearing masks that case that was in court should never should never have come to court people should be wearing uh, masks and also the people that was that were supporting that lady were all not wearing masks but then they were outside you, you don't have to wear masks um out you don't have to wear masks uh, outside okay there's people on as well about if i can find where they're coming into me here there's so many texts uh, coming in at the same time this is to do with the somebody has sent me on the correct and it's gone missing on me. Somebody has sent me on the correct air code for the here it is. This is the correct air code code for the Bantry Primary care centre. It seems that the text that's been sent out for people who are going to Bantry to have their vaccination, the air code on it is the school, even though it seems to be right next to the school. So I don't think people are getting that uh, lost uh, with it. Uh, and, and also a number of people, including Liz, are saying the Bantry Primary Care Centre is very well signposted uh, with yellow signs telling them exactly where it is. And it is next to the uh, secondary school. And I think people are just nervous about driving somewhere where they don't know where they're going. And I can actually identify with 
with that and I'm, I'm a bit of those ones I'm not great on directions and I always if I have to drive somewhere I like to know exactly where I'm going and people are doing in fairness to people they want to turn up on time because we've been told about the appointment system make sure they're turning up on time so people just don't want to get somewhere and then they can't find it but it does look like it's well signposted and the Bantry Primary Care Centre a number of people have sent on the postcode is P75 T611 P75 T611 one one, and if you put that into your sat nav, it'll bring you right outside the uh, door. Hi, uh, Mick, uh, by text, Patricia. Could you get on to Cork County Council, please? What do you want me to get on to Cork County Council for? Would you ask him to do something about the state of the roundabout in Mallow? It's right next to the lovely new cocktail bar and B and B that's about to open in Mallow called the Dutch Tulip. Could they not get somebody to sponsor the roundabout a little bit like the further on roundabout is sponsored by Dairy Gold and it is always immaculate and and it is, I have to say that. Maybe the Dutch Tulip, says Mick, might like to sponsor the roundabout that's right outside their door. It's a disgrace looking at it every day, passing through, thanking you, says Mick. Now, I've passed through that. I'll have to take a look at it. I mustn't be very observant. There's there's roadworks going on in that area at the moment. Maybe, Maybe they're waiting until the roadworks are finished. I will take a look it if I'm passing through it later on today and I will be because that's the way I have to go to collect Marsha from 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 the Gilbert Centre so I'll take a look at it but does anybody else agree with Mick that it's a disgrace in Cork County Council and Cork County Council do maintain it and they, they usually do a really good job with maintaining it whereas Dairy Go then they do the the lower down roundabout and I like that idea of businesses sponsoring a roundabout and then doing it up That's a, it's a big thing in America as well where they sponsor sections of roads and they keep it tidy and they keep it clean and it's something that's never really really uh, come into vogue here because they tried to get that they tried to get businesses to try to sponsor a section of roads but Dairy Gold yet took over the running of that roundabout which leads into uh, where their premises are in uh, Mallow. Anybody else notices though the one by the roundabout is a disgrace and I suppose if it is as bad as Mick is saying the fact that the roundabout bar that unfortunately had that fire a number of years ago and then was had become almost like a derelict building but now it's been taken over and it's been turned into this Dutch tulip pub and it looks lovely. There's been fantastic work done on that and it's due to open up soon. Hi Patricia, I don't normally rant says this uh, listener about anything but something that's really bothering me at the moment wondering if other listeners are feeling the same is to do with the vaccine distribution. I don't feel it is fair in my eyes and the reason I say it, this is from somebody who's already vaccinated, well first vaccine myself and my husband are working and have been working for the last 40 years we're in our mid 60s we both work for local government we've been going to work right throughout the whole pandemic, choosing to work in our offices instead of at home. Why? We simply don't have good Wi-Fi in our area so it wasn't feasible for us at work, to work at home. So we went to work and have gone to work every single day. The fact we are in our 60s, we both have received our vaccines but the vaccine we were given was the AstraZeneca. Patricia, my husband is a diabetic. We had to wait until the end, we have to wait until the end of August to get second vaccine and I will have to wait until the second week in September. This to me is way too long to be waiting for our second jab. I'm tired of looking at politicians posting themselves online getting the Pfizer jab or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And if they have all been vaccinated, why are they not all in the doll? There should be no excuses now. Wear the masks and tell them get back to work but they should be back working in the doll, not in the convention centre. Now, 
Okay, a couple of things there. I don't know which of the politicians you're talking about that have been posting up about, well, I suppose Pfizer, I suppose any of the politicians in their 50s. I certainly saw Micheál Martin. He is 60. He certainly got an AstraZeneca jab because I remember the day that he got it and he was at pains to point out that he got the AstraZeneca jab. Anyone in their 50s would have been probably offered the Pfizer. And in over the last weekend, People in the early 50s have been, well, I would, a lot of people will jealously say were the lucky ones. They got the Johnson & Johnson, the, the, the Johnson one, including my husband yesterday. He's in his early 50s. He got that one. And in two weeks, he is fully vaccinated. Is there a bit of vaccine envy going on in our house? Maybe, because uh, I've got another few weeks to wait for my second Pfizer and a Pfizer vaccine. And then Marsha obviously has to wait 12 weeks to get her second AstraZeneca. So... And I suppose with the information that's coming out, particularly the information that's coming out from England that's showing the need to get the, you you get a level of protection after the first vaccine, but to get the full protection, you need to have the second one. So I'm assuming you're not on your own. And I would take it that there are a lot of people in their 60s and people in other age groups that were in different cohorts that were given the AstraZeneca. I'm assuming there are a number of people as well feeling a bit peeved that it's going to be the end of the summer before they get their second shot and then you have to wait two weeks after that before you're deemed fully vaccinated and particularly when we're talking about people fully vaccinated being allowed to get on a plane from the 1st of July if the EU vaccine passport goes ahead there's going to be people getting very annoyed if their neighbours or their friends or family members can travel because they were lucky enough to get a Johnson & Johnson vaccine or they had their Pfizer vaccine and you're sitting there waiting for your next to get your last shot. I can understand it. I'm also wondering, will they pull back on the 12 weeks for the AstraZeneca? We know the 16 weeks that they put in place, they've removed that. It has gone back uh, to 12 weeks. And I saw a report coming out of England that they're talking about moving their 12 weeks back to eight weeks in order to try to get people the second shot. Will they do that here? I don't know. But I'm wondering, is there a lot more of what we can only call vaccine envy out there that people are a little bit annoyed? Now, the best vaccine is the vaccine in your arm. I don't think anybody's disputing the AstraZeneca is a good vaccine, but it's the fact that you have to wait to get the second one. There's that length of time before you're deemed fully vaccinated and we're getting to the stage that everybody just wants to be uh, fully vaccinated. So I have a funny feeling there may be others who might agree with that particular listener. Your thoughts welcomed. 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 862 103 103. C103 Jobs. An apprentice is wanted for an electronic security systems company that's based in the Mallow area. While a milk collection driver is wanted to join a team at Bandon Co-op. Now a CE driving license, forklift license, an up-to-date CPC are all necessary. A betting shop in Mallow, they're looking for part-time staff. You need to be computer literate. And Walsh Engineering Supplies in Mallow, they're looking for a part-time worker. It's to work light maintenance work. 
You'll find all the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Personal records stolen in the cyber attack on the HSE could be used for years to come to scam and blackmail people as they are sold to different criminal gangs. That's according to Ronan Murphy, Chief Executive of cybersecurity firm Smart Tech, uh, who once again joins me on the programme. Good morning to you, Ronan. Good morning. Uh, and thank you for, for making time out to talk to us again today. Now, yesterday was D-Day for the dumping of stolen information onto the dark web. Do we know at this stage, did that happen? Yeah, so look, the term dumping, Patricia, is I, I think people expected fireworks and that's never the case. Um, but by dumping, what they mean is that they, they basically carve up that data and they make it available for sale or for purchase in the kind of ecosystem, which is the, the dark web. So it, it's never um, a big bang type of experience. Um, what's important for people to understand is look, that very sensitive data has been made um, available for purchase in the dark web. Um, obviously, that's got ramifications for people who are included in, in those data sets, and they need to be very vigilant over the coming uh, weeks, months, and in in fact, in years, I would say. So it'll be a slow and protracted. It's a slow burn. It is. It's yeah. a slow burn. I mean, this type of data, typically, when it's compromised, um, it takes time for these guys to carve it up, to put plans in place, to to execute um, a strategy to try and either blackmail people or uh, extort people or do whatever it is they want to do with it. I'll give you a good example, actually, in Finland, two, uh, two or three years ago, there was a psychiatric hospital who had their data, data records stolen. And it took about 24 months for these guys to start um, trying extortion techniques against the people who were, who were in, in the data breach. Goodness, goodness. You also have concerns that other criminals will, as you say, piggyback on, on the chaos and try to scam people. And I think there's already evidence of that, isn't there? Yeah, it's very prevalent. I mean, these guys are opportunism. They, they, they represent opportunism at its very best, right? They flourish when there's chaos. And, and that chaos can come in many ways, shapes, sorts and sizes. And this is ideal for them. So, I mean... What, what people have to understand is that potentially there's data out there already about them, right? There's data records, and that could have, you know, happened in other breaches. And what you now have is you have people trying to capitalize on the panic that's there. And I think you, you're, you're seeing everybody now knows an aunt or an uncle or a cousin who's getting a call from a GP or a call from a hospital, and they're, they're saying, look, give us your credit card number or change something. Um, people just have to be very vigilant. Like I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't think there's any need for panic here. But yeah. what I do, what I do feel is that there's there's a very important need for people to be cognizant that they just have to be very, very careful. They have to question everything. They need to be very um, dubious of any emails that come in that don't look right. If it doesn't look right, it, it's probably not right. And and the same goes with with, with, with text messages or telephone calls. People need to be on uber high alert. And do you know what? It's not just for this, this specific attack. It's for everything now because there's so much data readily available on people out there and scamsters are continually refining their methodologies on how they try and hack people. 
Okay, a couple of listeners when I mentioned you were coming on were asking the same question. Can you explain the criminals who will buy this information? How will they extract money from the data? Yeah, there's lots of different ways, right? So depending on the profile of the data, there's different people with different skills. So, for example, if you're um, an organised crime syndicate and you want to um, infiltrate the supply chain, meaning you want to defraud manufacturers of equipment or you want to train um, compromise invoices which are being sent, you're going to be really interested in any data that relates to the purchase or procurement of hardware and software and all that sort of stuff, right? Okay. So, so that's, that's one batch of data that's very valuable to those guys. And um, that's a huge, huge problem for, for small and medium businesses across the island of Ireland, and it's a, a problem we deal with daily. And you have a second type of, of, of data then, which is potentially uh, very sensitive, confidential data relating to patients, which might you know potentially could be embarrassing if it was, if it was made public. Um, and, and these guys practice extortion, so they may want to go and they may want to try and blackmail them into paying them so that they don't disclose the data. That's, that, that's very prevalent. It's something we're seeing every day. Um, I mean, one of the most disturbing um, examples of that that we see on a regular basis now is sextortion, mm. where young men are being blackmailed because of being caught in a compromised position on social media. And it, 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 it's so rampant, it's incredible. That's an example of that. And then you have a third example. It's whereby they will try and commit financial fraud, you know, where they'll have they'll have your name, your date of birth, your PPS number. They'll have all of that information. And these guys have very good te- techniques where they tie all of that information together and they try to commit fraud based on piecing that information together. And each of those skills which I've described to you, they're a different organization, they have a different set of skills, they have a different area of specialization, and they know how to monetize this stuff, that's what they do. And that, therefore, that's why they, when, when, when guys are successful in a cyber attack like this, that's why they take the data, that's why they carve it up into buckets, and that's why they put it for sale to the highest bidder who's got the skills to try and monetize it. So you're talking about criminals, tens of hundreds of criminals from all over the world could potentially get some of this data. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean that, that, that's what the dark web is, right? It's a whole ecosystem of buyers and sellers, the supply chain, and um, people go in there and they buy data sets and then they, they figure out a way to monetize those data sets. And we hear that the government have experts monitoring the dark web. What, they're trying to see what's up for sale, is it? And yeah, I mean, the dark web, it's the marketplace. The problem you have with the dark web, though, is there's there's a high degree of um, um, there's not a whole pile of trust in the dark web so most people don't know each other Um, a lot of it is on forums and in marketplaces and you will have buyers and sellers who know each other I mean we spend a lot of time in the dark web uh, trawling through um, the chat forums looking for information that potentially is out there on our clients Um, so it, 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 it's, not, it's not easy to just go in there and look around and see what's up for sale. And these guys have closed forums where you almost have to be a member with a proven track record to get in there. So um, while government agencies globally always have eyes and ears in the dark web, as do we. I mean, we have a whole team here in Cork who are buried in it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's certainly not cut and dry. It's certainly not straightforward. It's another world, isn't it? It's a completely other world. It's like we, we brought the independent newspaper down 
we brought them down the rabbit hole last week for a look and how you buy drugs and guns and you know all sorts of crazy things so it's um it, it's a par- it's a parallel universe so your advice, Ronan, to any member of the public who gets a call, a text, an email, uh, you know, purporting to any kind of personal, particularly medical information, is it to get on to the Gardaí about it? Yeah, I think advice has gone out there. There's a helpline. You ring the helpline. You do not engage. That's, the, that, that's my fundamental piece of advice. And I'll be honest with you, right? The, uh, the delta in knowledge between the average citizen um, and the threat that faces them, and not just from the HSE hack, from scam scammers in general, is incredible. And people, they have to learn fast. They have to understand if it looks too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. They have to question everything. If they get a text message, if they get an email, if they get a telephone call, and they, their first basis to start with has to be, does this all stack up? And if there's any aspect of it whatsoever that they're they feel is 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 not um, kosher, then you know, cut communication. Okay, Bernard said that the government got a high court injunction. It was ours was secured by the HSE. Will that help in any way? I think I think the super injunction was really important for one reason. Um, uh, the world we now live in, the information tends to proliferate on social media. So, for example, let's assume I don't know, but let's take a a fictitious scenario where somebody has a sexually transmitted disease that becomes public because you've got extortionists trying to extract money out of them um, and their threat will be to embarrass them by sharing that information on social media. So it could tra- it could transmit via, say, WhatsApp or YouTube or Instagram or any of these platforms. Why the super injunction is so important is that anybody who shares that, anybody who touches it, including the social media giants, will be in serious trouble and um, what that does is it um, it makes the extortion more difficult because it puts pressure on, on individuals and it put, puts pressure on organisations who are potentially the conduit to share that information and thus make the blackmail more, more um, dangerous, I guess. OK, and were you surprised by the cyber attackers giving the HSE the decryption key to unlock the system? Oh. And it seemed to have come out of the blue. Yeah, I was very surprised. I'll be honest, I was very surprised. There's a common misconception that these guys don't attack healthcare. They do attack healthcare. They attack healthcare unrelenting, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 98% of healthcare institutions globally are under bombardment of attack from these guys. Um, not not specifically them, but, but also gangs like them. So healthcare is continually attacked. I think it is a curveball that they got to the crypto keys. There's speculation as to why that happened. If I were to hazard a guess, and it's, it, this is purely my speculation, I believe the Russian government put pressure on them to to give the decryptor tool. I believe the Russian government um, has looked at it and said, you know what, this is um, in the midst of a pandemic, the inability to get the frontline healthcare system, um, the, the, the inability to deliver frontline healthcare um capabilities is, is, is not good enough. Give them the crypto tool, get them back up and running. Do what you will with the data, but, but get them back up and running. That's what I believe happened. So the Russian government very much aware of what's going on in their own country? They are. I mean, these guys are these guys are an important asset to the Russian government. I mean, you know, if the Russian government, you know, if they want to destabilize a nation... They have the tools to do it without firing it, a shot. 
They've got very strategic partners who are very good at doing it. So, I mean, there's a symbiotic relationship between the Russian government and these guys, and the Russian government utilise them very effectively in, in America and in other parts of the world. I mean, what better way to have your citizens question the ability of your government to protect you than to bring um, frontline services to their knees? And that's, that's a very, that's a very, very useful tool in their arsenal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Are you working with uh, the hospitals that have been affected by the cyber attack, Rona? Yeah, we're working with many of the hospitals. We've been working twenty four hours a day uh, since since it happened on many of the, the major hospitals, and I'm absolutely uh, blown away by the effort that the guys and the girls in the hospitals have been putting in. It's extraordinary, and these are IT folk. Um, but the, the effort is very much mirroring the, the hard work that the doctors and the nurses across the healthcare have been putting in during this pandemic. I mean, it's a, it's a testament to them. And it's, I mean, it's very easy to um, to throw stones at, the, at them and, you know, say they weren't good enough and they didn't have this and they didn't have that. But, I mean, the effort they're putting in now is, is simply staggering. And how long do you think it'll take before they, they just are properly back up and running? It's, it's going right. to be, that's going to be another slow process, isn't it? it it's a slow process. I, I think the process has been significantly um, and sped up by getting the decryptor tool um, by, yeah. by, by a long way. But the process is slow. I mean, these, these systems are old, they're complex. Um, the decryptor tools that you get from, from these boys are typically buggy and they're problematic. But nonetheless, um, you don't look a gift horse in them out, right? They're going to... Uh, they're going to speed this up, but nonetheless, it's going to be it's going to be a painful exercise. I think the important thing, Patricia, is that the, the eyes of the world are on us at, at the moment, given the, the severity of this attack, and we need to learn from this. Um, we need to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I think there's a lot that can be done to ensure that the correct investment is made, the correct regulations are put in place. And I, I think as a country, we could actually become a, a global leader in how to do this right so it doesn't happen again. You, you learn from your mistakes and you, you come out stronger the other side. OK, on a positive note, we leave it. Uh, thank you, uh, Ronan, as always. You're a mine of information. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning to you. That is Ronan Murphy, who is Chief Executive of Cyber Security Firm Smart Tech, which we're very lucky to say is based here in Cork. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, CMI Last year, in the middle of the pandemic, we shared a wonderful story with a young Glanworth woman who had been told she'd never be able to have children, and that was due to the after effects of her cancer treatment. That was back in 2017. But she got a huge surprise when, at a medical checkup in Australia, where she was living at the time last year, to be told she was actually 32 weeks pregnant. Neil O'Brien joins me to chat about a fundraiser for the Cork Cancer Care uh, Centre. Good morning, Shanula. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. Of course, my first question is, how is baby Shay doing? Oh, he's good. He's sitting here in front of me now causing wreck. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> Coming up to his first birthday, isn't he soon? Yeah, so his first birthday is next month. Next month. Oh, good, goodness yeah. me. And what what has it been like um, being back in Ireland and readjusting to life in Ireland? Um, so it's just been really strange, really, just with COVID and everything. Like, we're very isolated. Um, so it was a bit strange, like a lot of people still haven't even met Shay. 
so some of my friends said as if I'm still in Australia. <laughs> uh, but it is good now that things are reopening again and we're kind of getting back to some bit of normality. Okay, and from a medical point of view, I spotted you in, I think it was in the Echo in February, you celebrated a milestone. Yeah, so I was three years cancer free on Valentine's Day. Fantastic, fantastic. And, is that, and that's something you plan to celebrate every year on Valentine's Day, Yeah, is it? it's like another birthday for me, really. Okay, take me back to the, uh, and tell me a bit about the Cork Cancer Care Centre and the, how it actually helped you when you were going through your cancer journey. Yeah, so basically I had cancer twice and the first time I had it, my mum started going to the centre and um, she was just getting counselling and support and stuff for like, obviously she had to be strong for me. So she started going then and I actually didn't go at all the first time because I was in college and everything. And then the second time I got cancer then I started suffering from panic attacks. And so then I started going and it was just amazing. Like I got counselling, I was able to get Reiki, I was able to get like angel healing there was loads of different therapies and stuff and it was just a great support to be around other people that had cancer it was kind of the only time you didn't feel like the odd one out um so it was brilliant like and they were just so good to me and my family and they still are so good to me and my family so we always want to try and repay them any way we can i've heard people say that before about the center that because when you have cancer and particularly if you're going through uh, chemotherapy and you've lost your hair and you very obviously are a cancer patient that everybody around you all people want to talk about is the cancer and people are treating you with kid gloves almost that when you yeah. go into a place like this everyone in there is in the same boat so it's almost like the cancer doesn't it's not that it doesn't get mentioned but yeah. you can you can look at life you could talk about other things Exactly, and like, as in, people aren't afraid to talk in there, whereas sometimes, like, when you're around people that don't have cancer, they're afraid to even mention it, and it's like the elephant in the room, and they don't know what to say, whereas here, you can literally decide, if you want to go in and talk about it with someone, you can talk about it, if you want to go in and not mention it, you can also do that, so it's just great, like, so you just don't feel like everyone's looking at you, you just feel like you kind of belong there. So it's like, it's like a little family in there, and like, Joe, when you go in, it's like someone's living room, so it's great. And what age were you when you first got cancer? Uh, 23. Sorry, there, you broke up there. Sorry, you, bro- you broke up there a little bit. You were 20? 23, sorry. Tw- 23. And how yeah. was that first diagnosis? So H- how I was- actually went on a night out in Carlow where I went to college and I ended up falling over. Um, and I cut open my hand and my head. And the next day when my parents came to collect me, they said I needed stitches. So they brought me to Clonmel Hospital and like that's not our local hospital. It was just by chance we went there. And um, a girl that was doing the x-rays, I was just basically telling her how embarrassed I was and what I was up to the night before. And she asked me, could she do a chest x-ray as a practice for her exam? And then I got a phone call maybe a week later saying they'd found cancer in my chest. So it was all by chance really that I found out. So you falling over on a night out... In yeah. and you know symptoms obviously at that stage. Right? No, I had no symptoms or anything. And it was non Hodgkin's lymphoma. So, no, Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's, okay. Yeah, Hodgkin's and then so so you you got through that one and then it came back. So yeah, so I went through six months of chemotherapy and then I did I moved to Dublin for a month to do my radiation because I couldn't get the radiation in Cork because the tumor was too close to my heart. So I had to move up to Dublin with my mum and go to St. James's for radiation. And then maybe a month later, not even a month later, I'd say maybe two or three weeks later, I started getting really itchy all over my body. So I just texted Professor O'Reilly telling him that I think, Joe, the radiation is after doing something. 
So they asked me to come up and do a scan and it was actually spreading then to stage four everywhere. And yet now, uh, as you say, three years Valentine's Day, you're now cancer free. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's fun. And why the first time did you not feel the need to go to the the cancer care centre? Was it because so you were... The first time was kind of like, as in, I was up living in Carlow still. I was still in college. Sorry, it's just shit. You're all right. <laughs> great to I, hear him. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was living in Carlow and going through college and I would just drive home from my chemo session. And I just didn't really want to go to a centre. I thought it would be pure, like, do like my sister's keeper. And I thought it would be, like, really depressing and everyone sitting around sad. And I just didn't want to do that. And it wasn't until the next time that I started getting panic attacks and everything. Yeah, that that you And it was the complete opposite of what I thought it would be. Like, it's the most least depressing place you'll ever be. Well done, well done. And they've managed to stay open, haven't they, through the pandemic? Yeah, so they've actually stayed open the whole time throughout the pandemic for um, people getting one-to-one sessions, which is brilliant. And um, But the only thing is, we're not government whatsoever, so we rely solely on fundraisers and you know, people giving donations and stuff. And obviously, all our um, fundraisers have been cancelled this year and last year due to COVID. So they are struggling to keep the doors open. So that's why we're doing Walk With Warriors for the month of May. Explain what that is. So basically, Walk With Warriors is that for half an hour every day, you just get outside and walk. And like, you can walk anywhere, you can go with anyone. And you just walk for half an hour every day for the whole month. And then you donate money. So that's the main gist of it. And like, what some people do is they take a photo on their walk and they upload it onto Facebook or Instagram and tag the centre. Um, but it's brilliant, like the amount of people that are doing it to support the centre is amazing. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's and people can donate by going on to Cork... Uh, cancer care centres yeah so you can go on to their Facebook page you can go on to their website um, some people like myself I have it on my own Facebook page I also have it on the Jesse Cancer page like there's loads of options where to donate okay and and you're doing well Nula that's that's the main thing yeah okay. doing brilliantly great stuff great stuff listen and no doubt there'll be a little birthday party for Shay yeah. uh, next month say hi to your mother as well because she was fantastic last year when we, when we were uh, talking with you and uh, but listen it's it's great to hear you in such good form and uh, the best of luck to everybody involved with the Cork Cancer Care Centre it's such an important service really? and it's one of those things we never know when we will need it or a family member will need it that's it yeah all right, listen, you stay safe. Take Thank care, Nula. Much. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We've had another one of these. Um, uh, they're always heartbreaking, these letters and emails that we're receiving from women who at a time became pregnant and were either forced to give their children up for adoption or had no choice but to give their children up for adoption. And some would say having no choice is the same as being uh, forced. And of course, this all ties in with this to be a change in the law and adopted people have a right to their birth certs which obviously will give the the name of their birth mother on it. But it says in the legislation that while the birth mother can say she doesn't want to be contacted, there will be no sanctions against the adopted person going in search of the birth mother. And that has caused uh, panic, I would say, with some women who gave children up for adoption and have 
kept it as a secret and have never told anyone and now live in fear because for some of the women who've contacted us they say they've gotten on with their lives and they may have got married they may have children and no family member knows about this baby who's now an adult and fearful that they will come back into their uh, lives and some of the letters if you've been regularly listening to the programme you will have heard them some of them really are heartbreaking so I received this one and obviously again Lady says, please don't read out my name. So just for the sake of the email, we're calling this listener Jenny, not her real name. So Jenny says, don't call out my full name, please. And you'll understand why. Dear Patricia, I listened with interest to your recent letters on adoption and to the replies which have come into you. I too am a birth mother who placed my only child for adoption in the 1980s. The 1980s, not the dark ages, but it was still impossible for me to keep my child. I had concealed my pregnancy and had no other option but adoption. I was very much alone. Every single day that passed, I missed and grieved my baby and definitely suffered post-traumatic stress as a result of what I went through. 40% of birth mothers who lose their children to adoption never have another child. That's, I I didn't realise the figure. I'd heard there was a lot of birth mothers who give the children up for adoption. I didn't realise it was that high. 40% of birth mothers who give our child up for adoption never go on to have another child. So on my 50th birthday, I made the decision to find my one and only child and to make this fact public. Easier said than done. The shame I felt when my child was born was piled on me again by the family I now looked to for support. I got questions like, why was I now digging up the past? Why was I rocking the boat? Didn't I realise I was going to bring shame on the family? Couldn't I let the past in the past? I even had one family member say, your mother, who was now in her early 80s, is too old to deal with this shame. It'll kill her. She can't be told that news. What will the neighbours say? Said somebody else. One even went so far as to say, wasn't my now husband, wasn't he a great fella to marry me after I had a child by another man? My God. Nobody asked, what of my feelings? Nobody asked, what about my needs? So sitting down and telling family about a child that you'd placed for adoption is not easy. The fallout can be horrendous and no amount of counselling can prepare someone for the emotional anxiety and the stress. On the plus side though, with everything stacked against me, I found my child and I'm now still working on a reunion. No, I do not regret going in search and finding my child as I truly believe everybody needs and deserves to know who they are and where they came from. But on a note of caution, Not all families will welcome these facts. Now you know why I request my name not to be mentioned. Goodness me. You would would like to think that, you know, all these years later that a family would have just have wrapped you up in their arms and said, it's okay. let's let's see if we can help you find, particularly when it was your one and only child. You didn't have any other children. So there's one other child human being who's now an adult who is you know flesh of your flesh and blood of your blood and to think that your family couldn't see it that way because it's also this person is also a blood relative of theirs and to put that kind of shame onto you is just and listen it's um I hope your reunion goes really well and it will be their loss and they you know and how, how anyone 
when someone would come, I'm just even thinking if any a family member of mine came and presented me with that, a story like that to say, look, I've hidden this for all of these years and it would have been probably 30 years since you'd had the child back in the 80s. And to think that they could turn their back on you and to talk about shame on your family. You didn't bring shame on your family. What happened? You brought a beautiful little baby into this world. And then, as I mentioned last week in one of the other letters, you you gave the greatest gift of all. You gave the gift of that child to a family who were desperately in need of of a baby and couldn't have a baby of their own. So you've nothing. Hold your head high. You've absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. And I really hope that your reunion works out well for you. And thank Thank you for taking time out to share your story with us. Uh, 1850-333-103, as I say there, those stories are absolutely heartbreaking. But I'm hoping with some of the women who are sharing it and some of the ones who are writing to us for the first time, even speaking about it to anybody else, just putting it down on paper or typing it out, sharing that story may in some way help in their healing process because there's so much hurt involved and pain involved with giving up your child and some of these women have carried that with them all of their lives and now they just need to be understood and they need great compassion and great sympathy and humanity that's what they need they need to be surrounded in love and to be told it's okay it's okay and I think for families to apologise to say we're sorry that you, we couldn't be there for you at the time 1850 let me go back to some of your thoughts coming into the programme this morning Evelyn is in Mallow has contacted us she's in a bit of a pickle about her vaccination she says she's currently attending Cork University Hospital for a health condition but she's received her vaccine appointment by text and they've asked for her to go to the Killarney Vaccination Centre. She was hoping to get Mallow because she lives in Mallow and also she doesn't drive herself. Because of this health condition that we didn't get into over the phone, I don't know what it is, she doesn't feel safe on public transport so therefore she feels the train would be out of the question. Currently she's also unable to keep food down. She contacted the HSC a few times to say, look, I'm after getting Killarney, I really want to have my vaccination in Mallow. They've said over the phone there's nothing that they can do for her she can say no that that particular appointment doesn't suit and then she waits for a new appointment date to be sent out but anyone she speaks to on the HSE phone line are saying to her they can't guarantee that you won't get Killarney again she's even contacted her own doctor but her own doctor is not in the position to be able to uh, vaccinate her now we had the very same scenario over the last number of weeks people saying that they didn't get the vaccination centre closest uh, to them and that same answer has been given to everyone if you say because when you get the text message it says does this suit and if it doesn't you can say no to it and then it gets cancelled and they'll send you out uh, another one but because it's computer generated the computer doesn't know that you're cancelling the appointment because you don't want to go to Killarney so it is very possible that you'll keep getting sent out an appointment for Killarney. So let's try and look at the positive Elaine because obviously you want to get your vaccination and if you're suffering from a health condition then you need to get your va- your, your vaccination I would suggest to you that you think about the train again because when you said when you were speaking with John Paul that you're unable to keep food down I would be suggesting that the train would surely be the best option for you because at least on the train you have a toilet whereas you know I was when I saw it first I was thinking could you get somebody to, if you don't drive yourself would you have a friend or family member who would be able to bring you but if you're having difficulty keeping food down maybe the train is the better option and remember if you're nervous about public transport remember all 
the, the way they have the trains set up, none of the trains are 100% capacity. I mean, at one stage, there was only 25% capacity on trains. I think it's gone to about 50% now, but you're not sitting on top of people. They have seats marked out, so everyone is spaced, you know, well spaced out. You can sit, make sure that there's a window open beside you. You know, you could, you, 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 I'm assuming with the trains, you still have to book your own seat, so go online and book a seat, you know, maybe book you know, that front seat that when you come onto the trains, absolutely nobody near you, you'll be close by the toilet as well. I would suggest accept the appointment for Killarney, go and get your vaccine because I think more than anything it's just important that you get your vaccine at this stage. And just staying, if anybody else has a different opinion for Evelyn, please let me know. And what I would love, for people who did cancel the appointment because they didn't want a particular text, the test vaccination centre, they wanted a different one. Can you let me know when you got your next appointment, was it at the same vaccination centre or did anybody get offered a different one? So at least we could pass on that piece of information to Evelyn because she can keep saying no in the hope that she would eventually get mallow. But I don't know if any, if anybody's actually done that, cancelled because they didn't want to go they wanted to go to their closest vaccination centre and did they eventually get their closest vaccination centre? So if anybody can tell us on that, uh, please let us know. Someone says, hi Patricia, the, the vaccine Janssen, is that the Janssen Johnson one? Yes it is. If you get a text message saying you're getting the Janssen, it means you're getting the Johnson Johnson. I think we always refer to it as Janssen Johnson, but the company name is Janssen. So yes, that's the Johnson & Johnson one and it's one shot so you, you only have to go once and that is it. On the listener who was giving out an almost, I've used the term vaccine envy, uh, not happy about the fact that she's in her 60s along with her husband they got the AstraZeneca, her husband will have to wait until the end of August for his second shot, she'll have to wait until mid-September for her second shot, not happy about it, wants the second shot, wants to be fully vaccinated with everything that's going uh, on. Uh, Jerry said Ursula van der Leyen in Europe uh, and the European Union are already suing AstraZeneca and that's for delays over delivery of AstraZeneca. Um, Jerry is wondering, because I think there's no more AstraZeneca coming from in June, wonders will there be a longer wait for the second vaccine? I don't think so. I don't think so. And if you look to what they're doing in England, they're bringing back the time so they may decide to do that as well here. Jerry reckons the whole vaccination system in this country has been a bit of uh, a debacle and is just taking too long we will have too many of the new variants circulating in this country and Jerry reckons that will be a serious concern. Actually, I saw while News at 12 was on something that came in and I don't know if Barry, because I didn't hear all of Barry's news, but what's come in from Micheál Martin in the last half an hour, he he says that the government are monitoring the spread of the Indian COVID variant in the UK and that's going to be ahead of the Cabinet decision on relaxing travel restrictions. And that was a quote from the Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, said decisions will be made around travel, entertainment and hospitality. And of course, that's the announcement that we're expecting on Friday. But he's now coming out and saying, look, we are closely watching what's going on with the Indian COVID variant in the UK. We do have it in this country, but it's in very low numbers at the moment. And certainly I would take from that comment from Micheál Martin, they're afraid of opening up too much to other countries and allowing the variant in because we the history is there. It has happened to us before. So we'll watch that with keen uh, interest. And then a listener says, Hi Patricia, could you find out for me please? The Dunmanway drive through text test centre, you know, the walk-in one where you don't need an appointment. Is that still operating, please? Yeah, I got that checked. It's operating only on Tuesdays. 
So it's operating today between nine and half five. You don't need an appointment. You just, you simply turn up. So yes, if you need to get a COVID test and you're in, you want to use the Dunmanway drive through yes, it's open, but just today and they're keeping it open on Tuesdays uh, only. I don't know for how long more, but it's open. It certainly is open today. 1850 333 Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. We've been asked to say well done to the students and staff at the Gwaleskull in Clonakilty. They raised €1,331 for Daffodil Day. They did it by dressing in yellow and green and making donations in the school well done because we know how hit the Cancer Society were this year by the cancellation of Daffodil Day Dara Community Centre they're currently holding a fundraising clothes collection you can leave donations of unwanted clothes shoes, handbags and household textiles in the centre on Wednesday tomorrow between 2 and 3 and Saturdays between 11am and 12 noon please ensure that your items for donation are in strong plastic bags and that they're tied at the top and some drive-in bingos happening this Friday. Castletown Bear Development Association, their drive-in bingo will be on the east end of the pier, half seven on Friday night. They've got a jackpot this week of €1,400. 48 calls are less. And Kildallery drive-in bingo, that's also on Friday night. So it's on this Friday. It'll be at 8pm and that's in the Creamery Yard. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk. They walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Before we go back to some of your comments coming in, I want to go to the phone lines where Abritha and Mallow joins me. Good afternoon to you, Abritha. Good afternoon. You're picking up on the text that came in earlier. Uh, Somebody wanted me to contact Cork County Council to say, would they ever do something about the roundabout in Mallow and the condition that it's in at the moment, particularly with the new pub, the Dutch Tulip pub and B&B that's about to open and it's a brand new building and then you look at the roundabout. For people who don't know the roundabout in Mallow, describe the condition it's in, Breathe, at the moment. Well, the roundabout, I live very nearby the roundabout and to me the sculpture that was originally there of the horses should never have been removed. And now they, they took them away and they have now stuck them underneath the trees out by Blackrock Bridge, which I think is absolutely terrible. They in turn then replaced it with big red ugly letters, I can call them, with mallow on it. Spelling out the word mallow. Spelling out word mallow. Which on one side now, for I'd say at least nearly six months, are non-existent. Because there was obviously a collision. Somebody mounted the roundabout and knocked them over. They're now non-existent for about six months. They are plants, what we assume are supposed to look like plants. But to me, they just look like weeds. You know, and it looks absolutely terrible, I think. And as, know, as our listener said, when you look at the... Monster, it's terrible. And as the listener pointed out, when you then drive on to the next roundabout, the Dairy Gold one... Beautifully maintained. Beautiful. I mean, they've taken over ownership of that and maintained, and it's beautiful. And I really do hope, like, kind of maybe um, the proprietors of the Dutch Tulip, maybe they may come on board with the council, even though they shouldn't have to, 
just to compliment their property now that they have revamped and looked so well. Well, listen, we'll send an email off to the council. I'm assuming because there's roadworks going on in that area, maybe that's the reason that they're going to say that uh, they're... I don't wash with that. Do you not? Really, Do no, you no. Not? And they also, when they did the roundabout, yeah. they they put in these rectangular, red rectangular squares in, and they just seem to be obsessed with this fancy grass, as I call it. Okay. Okay, that just grows up to about three feet or four feet, and then they come and cut it down to maintain it again. We'll have now, to get I her. Also, compliment yeah. the two council employees that try and maintain that particular roundabout. Okay, you know, all right. I've well, seen them there with their wheelbarrow breaking their back, and it still doesn't look any better. But I will compliment them for their. The okay. work they and try it's a, and do there. It's a busy roundabout and you're right, it is the crossroads of Munster. Thanks, Brie. We'll get on to the we'll get John Paul to get on to the council and we'll just see if there are any plans, particularly the fact that they're the building close to it has just been done up. Okay, there's a lot of uh, texts in. Hi, Patricia. Just wondering, do you get when you get your do you get your second vaccine in the same place? Says Catherine, where you got your first vaccine, or do you de- do you get a different centre? Well, when I got my first vaccine in Mallow, the vaccinator said to me, "Hopefully, you'll be called back here." So that's as much as she could tell me. And I know some of our listeners who were in Killarney at the weekend getting vaccines who'd gone from North Cork. It was said to them when they were registering when they were signing in did they want to have it closer to home and I know Jim one of our listeners said no I'll go back to Killarney because he wants to he's going to make a weekend out of it so no I don't think you're guaranteed that you're going to be sent back to the same place but having said that a listener says Patricia I have a family member working in a healthcare sector they got their first vaccine shot in Port Leash last February they've now been called for their second shot they've got to go back to Port Leash again simply ridiculous that they have to travel from Cork to Port Leash when sure now the vaccine centres are open in Ireland that's a five hour round trip it's ridiculous says John and of course when they would have got the initial vaccine in February we wouldn't have had our vaccination centres open at that time so that does seem a bit crazy indeed Hi Patricia I got my vaccine yesterday in Killarney travelled from Castletown Roach uh, the vaccine centre was great only for the roadworks I had to travel to Mill Street to McCroom to Killarney what a joke and people were warning people about that when they are going to uh, Killarney to be prepare for delays and then there's a listener responding to Evelyn in Mallow doesn't is, wants to get Mallow she'll have to get in Killarney she's medically vulnerable and all of that and uh, she doesn't know what to do and she doesn't drive herself and I, she was nervous about the train and I was saying surely the train would be an option Hi Patricia I travelled to Dublin as a medically vulnerable person from Killarney way back when and I was so happy to be called there so thanks to the hospital that arranged this for me I travelled reluctantly by train and but I have to say Irish Rail do a great job. You simply can't sit in close proximity to another passenger. Booking online does not however give you a particular seat like heretofore. All it means is that you will get on a particular service and Irish Rail know how many people are accessing that particular service. Booking in advance is for intercity travel. So between Mallow and Killarney may not be necessary but it's essential travel for the lady travelling for her vaccination so tell her. So there's a Kerry listener saying use the train. You will be fine using the train. So hopefully Evelyn because I just think I want Evelyn to get it sounds like she is somebody who needs to get the vaccine so I want her to get the vaccine and not to be delaying with it. We were talking about drive through bingos going on somebody said does anybody know of a drive in bingo for Marymount Hospice on Sunday next Helena wants to know has anybody heard of drive in bingo for Marymount 
Hospice next Sunday. If anybody has details of that, I would be more than willing to give it a shout out if you can let us know there, please. And a couple of people on about Jenny, the story I read out, not her real name, the woman who gave her baby up for adoption, kept it quiet and then on her 50th birthday, because she never had any more children, decided she'd go in search of the little baby who's now a grown man. And just her family's reaction was just pitiful. It's just beyond shocking. Hi Patricia, I listened to that lovely lady's story. How sad that she has a family lacking in such empathy and understanding. I have to, I have, I, I unfortunately have such a family. I hope she knows the shame that they talk about is theirs. It's their shame. It's not hers. I wish her strength and her happiness. Stay true to yourself and uh, God bless her. That's a lovely message. Thank you for that. Hi Patricia, I listen, I listen to you every morning. The that girl who sent that email to you is brave enough to go to look for her family. She shouldn't take any notice of her family's negativity. All we have are positive thoughts and we're sending them her way. And that's from Claire, Claudia, Stephanie and Johnny who are listening to us in Kerry. Thank you for that, girls. And someone else said, tell that woman that friends are so much better than family. Let the family go to hell after showing their true uh, colours. What's that saying? You can pick your friends. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom. Uh, but you can't choose your family. Sometimes that's uh, unfortunately very true. This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
to Boherbui where Joe Heffernan joins us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Okay, and we are continuing on a topic that we started with last week, which is to do with uh, self-harming. And today we want to aim the talk towards young people who are still self-harming. And I'm assuming for all of the young people or anybody involved in self-harming, their dearest wishes, they want to stop. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, the first... The very, very, very first um, uh, step is to make that decision. I am going to stop. That's the first thing. Um, No, that doesn't mean it's easy. It does not mean that at all. But it means that the person that you've made a decision, I want to stop. No. Because uh, are a lot of people embarrassed about the fact that they self-harm? Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of very poor self-esteem, very poor self-image. Uh, definitely. Um, I find it very, very gratifying when someone comes uh, to my own practice and says I've been self-harming because I know that that took a lot of courage, and um, uh, and and I I I, I understand that the underlying. Um, uh, uh, factors are very important in it. You know, mm. uh, a person might feel depressed. They might feel that they haven't been listened to. Uh, they might be frustrated about certain things in life. Um, uh, whatever. But all of these things are better talked about. <coughs> excuse me. Are better talked about than than bottled. Um, and then finding release in inappropriate Some ways. Some other way, yeah. Because I, I remember when we spoke about that trichotillomania where people actually pull their own yeah. hair, hair out, which the pain of that. Uh, I yeah. remember after our, one of our chats when we were talking about that, uh, a young woman sent in a, a really heartfelt email. Mm. She'd been suffering from it for years, but she she spoke constantly in the email about the shame attached to it, and just yes. not even and and because she had so much shame, she was she felt she wasn't able to go forward and get help. And I often thought about her afterwards and hoped that she did go, and because it was her mm. first time ever opening up about it to anyone. So, yeah. um, so the first it, one, I remember the email well. Yeah, and I w- I was very pleased that she took the trouble uh, to send it in. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's so it's to admit you've got a problem and that that you need to get help with it. So is the, the next step then is when you get to that stage where you're ready is to talk, open up and talk to somebody? Talk to someone, to someone. Um, now, that could be a, a good friend. It could be somebody uh, in the family. Um, it could be online with, um, you know, the teen line, etc., etc., the different, um, the, the different on, online uh, help contacts. Um, or it could be, and very, very regularly would be, and I'd highly recommend it, would be uh, one's GP. Um, or, indeed, one might decide to uh, pick up the phone to someone in my own line of work. Um, as I was saying recently, there are 2,500 of us in IACP. Um, and if you go into the website, iacp.ie, you'll see a thing, find a counsellor. And if you put in your area, there's a whole list going down, like North Cork, West Cork, South Cork, um, 
uh, Limerick, uh, Tipperary, the whole lot. Um, you'll probably find someone within 20 minutes of your home who is fully accredited and uh, and very competent. So, um, uh, those methods, um, whichever one of them, but talk to someone. Talk to someone. Um, and there are there are coping methods, distractions. Well, yeah, um, uh, like. Uh, Some of them would be just a different way of engaging with self-harm. Now, that might sound completely contradictory with what we're saying, but it might be a little step along the way. For example, a rubber band around the wrist and uh, stretch it and snap it back um, rather than cutting. Um, I'm I'm kind of focusing in on cutting. Um, Is that uh, probably one of the most common? Cutting, is it? Yes. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and, and that would be um, uh, a substitute that would be less harmful. Um, an ice cube um, uh, also gives time for thinking because you go to the fridge, you get an ice cube, you rub that to the area that you wouldn't use to cut. Um, uh, and, and that can help. But there's a, there's a whole, uh, you know, gamut uh, of... Um, of 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 we'll call it distractions that a person can do uh, to deal with the stress and the upset. Um, uh, you know, it might be to um, uh, make a phone call or send a text to a good friend. It could be uh, watch film. Um, it could be put on a bit of favourite music. That um, instead of engaging with the self harm at that particular time when that urge would come on. To just um, to have a distraction, um, uh, you know, to um, yeah, to distract one from the frustration and uh, anger or fear or whatever um, uh, at that particular time. To just get one over the uh, moment of temptation, urge, whatever word we want to use, um, to to self harm. And when you get on that journey of saying, I need help, and and you start to talk uh, to people or go to a GP, you talk about keep on keeping on. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, that um, when you've made the decision, um, uh, stick with it as very, very best you can. Now, if there's a slip, don't throw in the towel and say, that's it, I failed. No. No, people, I have known people who have had a slip and they have re-engaged with um, their recovery and uh, and have succeeded. But um, it's a simple case of if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Um, for example, um, uh, if a person goes to the GP and if they were put on um, uh, medication... Um, Which is I a possibility. Com- which is a possibility. Oh, very much so. It is a possibility. Um, But down through the years, I I have met so many people who would have said, ah, yeah, but it didn't work for me. I didn't like them. Um, uh, They they made me drowsy. And I would be saying, but there are a huge uh, um, number of different medications in, for example, antidepressants. And... One that wouldn't suit one person would be ideal for another, and one that would be ideal for a person mightn't suit another at all. So don't just knock the hole at and say, ah, they didn't work for me. It is that that particular one didn't work for me. 
I will go back to the GP and, all right, it's a little bit of trial and error, but it's pretty certain that there will be one that will suit. So don't, uh, you know, don't give up on the whole lot of them just because uh, one didn't suit. You might be lucky, and the very, very first one that would be prescribed would work very well. That's great. But to bear in mind that um, that there are several, and uh, and and uh, don't knock them all just because the first one maybe didn't uh, didn't suit. Um, uh, as time goes on, um, I think that um, uh, very often in different um, uh, issues that arise, a combination of medication and uh, what we'll call talk therapy. Um, you know, someone of those two and a half thousand therapists um, can work very well. Um, it doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't. It definitely doesn't have to be one or the other. It and can you've, be both. You've spoken with people o- o- over the years. What has helped other people to stop self-harming? If if I had to kind of uh, name one aspect of. Uh, a would be talking about past experiences, um, just talking about stuff that maybe a person hadn't talked about, which was either embarrassing or hurtful or whatever. Um, the 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 big one, I suppose. Uh, I don't like to generalise now, but one of the ones that would come up quite a lot in that area would be um, self-esteem, um, and we can talk someday soon about self-esteem and the building blocks, a sense of security. Identity, belonging, purpose, uh, competence, a sense of those. Um, usually the, the low self-esteem um, uh, was there and may have been a factor in a person beginning uh, to self-harm, but it certainly adds to low self-esteem when one is doing it. Um, there's a lot of self-loathing goes on with, with, uh, with self-harm. And uh, and you mentioned there a while ago the trichotillomania. We we can we can talk about that fairly fairly soon as well. Let's face it's a form of self harm. So um, you know we we might um, we 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 might come to that particular type of self harm um, pretty soon. Yeah, because this way it's one of the more unusual ones. And then to anybody listening who isn't ready to stop, what do you say? Well. Um, with a lot of people who do self-harm, it has become a sort of way of life. Um, it's the way that they deal with stress, frustration, anger, etc., etc. Now, the main thing would be the start, the decision, to realize that this is not the way to go, that this is, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, 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 it's not a good solution to those um, problems, but it's a way of coping uh, at this particular time. So um, it means making a big change to stop. That would involve, I think, definitely talking to someone. Now, if, you see, self-harm is not a suicide attempt, and, and that needs to be clearly understood. Self-harm is actually a way of coping with life. No. Uh, to somebody who doesn't self-harm, it sounds like a very um, bizarre way 
of uh, coping with life's, with life's difficulties. But to the person doing it, um, it you know, it gives that relief. Um, uh, the problem is that it can uh, escalate and that um, it can get out of control because um, a person can eventually seriously hurt oneself. Um, uh, it can go from very superficial uh, to deep. Uh, again, now I'm referring, I'm, 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 what I've in my head is cutting. Um, uh, like, uh, if you are doing that, and if you made a decision that you want to stop, but you're not stopped yet, that doesn't mean that you can't go and speak to someone, say, in my own line of work, until you've stopped. Not at all. No. You can you can make that decision and you can go and talk to someone and it can be, and it's often, well, I don't know about often. Yeah, yeah, okay, often is um, that the person is still self-harming. But at least now you're talking about it. And there can be little strategies that would... Um, uh, that would come up in sessions, and that one could find helpful. And that's for example, you're on, I mean, you're on you're, the you're on the right road. You're to on recover. the right track. Anyway. Okay, and we're going yeah. to pick up on this again next week because I'm I'm very conscious of parents and concerned family members yeah. and friends listening who's living with somebody who's self harming, and we're going to try and give words of advice uh, to those yeah. people next week. Listen, Joe, have a lovely week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. And the thank, same, thank you for that. And uh, Joe's contact number is zero eight six. 8348145086 and he runs a counselling practice in uh, Boherboy. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to uh, John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning for the midweek edition of Cork Today. Looking forward to your company. Thank you to everybody who contacted the show uh, today. Until tomorrow at 10, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Look after yourself and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.